Well, we've come to the end of our journey through the Psalms of Ascent. And as we uh, as we've gone through these Psalms, I hope you've realized that these are songs that are supposed to help us through the journey of life. These are songs that the, the Israelites would have sung on their way to Jerusalem in order to worship the Lord. They had a hope that as they journeyed from their homes to the temple, they'd be entering into the presence of God and they would recount some of the victories that the Lord had done for them or the help that the Lord had provided for them or recognize their need for the Lord. And we, as we've journeyed through this Songs of Ascent, we've realized these are songs that we get to sing as we are also pilgrims in this life. People journeying from a place that's, that's the, in this world that's not our home, we get to go and have a hope of being with the Lord one day in His presence. Today we're going to be in Psalm 130. This is going to be our final psalm that we go through. And you're thinking, hey... The last Psalm of Ascent is 134, and we're ending on 130. Well, we've kind of jumped around a little bit, um, and in some way, form, or fashion, we've interacted with all these psalms. I thought this would be a perfect one to end on and have our Lord's Supper to as well. Because in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, uh, that family meal that that the Lord has commanded us to take, and we look forward to that. Because sometimes when we get together and get to have a family meal, um, sometimes the, the meal is chaos, but other times it's that final moment of the day after a hard day's work, after we've put in a lot of toil, we just get to sit down and enjoy the Lord's favor. We get to sit down and have some peace from the chaos of life. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes life does feel chaotic. It feels chaotic to me, and that can be for a lot of reasons. Um, chaos can come into our life just because that's the way life is. But other times, as we're going to see, chaos comes into our life for specific reasons. And this morning, we're going to be reminded of why it is that we can come together as in, in a moment like this, join together as God's people, and have peace from the chaos in our life, only because of what Christ has done. So when God's people, like us right now, we're coming to prepare for the Lord, this psalm's going to help us with that preparation time. What is it that we're supposed to do as we prepare to meet with the Lord? As we prepare to, to come together as his people, what is it that we do? So let's read this psalm and see how this psalm prepares us for worship and how it can maybe be the shape of our, our worship every week. So Psalm 130, we're going to read that whole psalm, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 130 says this, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. More than a watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this psalm and what it has to say to us. God, we thank you that as we cry out from the depths, you hear us, you forgive our sin. And allow us to trust in you. So God, we pray that in the next few moments you would help us to have a heart that's repentant of our sin. And a heart that's trusting in you. And loving you with all we have. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So the first thing we do is we worship. The shape of our worship as we come into his presence. I think the first thing we need to do is think about the depth of our sin. So I encourage you this morning, think about the depth of your sin. In the opening words of this psalm, we find the author voicing a very strong prayer of repentance. Look at the few words and phrases that, that show us this. First, he says, out of the depths. Out of the depths. The depths here is a reference to the waters of the sea. And in the Hebrew mind, the sea or large bodies of water represent chaos. Um, They represent disorder and and, and a lack of unity, a lack of purpose. Think of Genesis 1. What does the Bible say there? It says the earth was without form and and a void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's this picture of uh, unorganized chaos waters that the God is now going to put together. He's going to bring life from that. But dark chaos waters, it's pretty scary. And the author has found himself in these chaos waters. He's saying, I'm calling out from the depth. He's in this serious state that's out of his control and that he can't stop. Then he goes on to say, I cry to you. Also, he says, my voice or hear the voice of my plea for mercy. As the author is in this chaotic state, these chaos waters, they aren't whispering calmly. They aren't even just shout. Uh, they're shouting at the top of their lungs. Their voice is cracking. It's piercing the night. It is, it's a cry out to the Lord. And there's an obvious urgency that comes with crying out to the Lord in this way. It's not a whisper. It's a cry out. Lord, help me. You can imagine these chaos waters swirling around them. And it's getting up to their neck and it's threatening, it's splashing in their face and they're, they're about to be pulled under. And so this cry out to the Lord, this cry, they cry to the Lord for mercy, that God would take away the chaos that's surrounding them. Which begs the question, what's the reason for all this chaos? Why are they in this state that they're in in the first place? Well, he goes on to say, if you... Mark iniquities. He uses that phrase. If you, if you mark iniquities. Marking iniquities is a fancy way of saying keeping record of wrong or keeping record of sin. So you see in the context, this chaos that this guy is going through is a result of sin. It's a result of the sin that's in his life. Uh, this iniquity has put him in these chaos waters and he obviously cannot stand up under them. In life... There's all kinds of suffering. We talked about even last week. There's suffering that comes as a result of serving the Lord. When we serve the Lord, there's this innate suffering that comes along. We have to lose sleep as we pray. Or we give up our, our money. Uh, we come, we, there's a suffering that comes with serving the Lord. But this suffering that this author is speaking of is not that good, godly suffering uh, that comes when we serve the Lord. No, here, this suffering... Is a result of sin. And that's a truth that you can write down. Sin causes chaos. Sin causes chaos. I mean, you can think of sin as a, as, a, as a wildfire blazing through a forest. And as you look at that forest, after a wildfire has blazed through it, you can see black soot everywhere. You can see every place that that fire has touched. In the same way, you can see everything that sin has touched. Sin's like a tornado that leaves a distinct path in its wake. Take an aerial view of a tornado's train. You can see every place that that tornado has hit, and it leaves a mark. Sin is like a thief that ransacks a house and leaves it devastated. When you walk into your home after it's been robbed, you know everything's turned over. It's devastated. And you can see how 
Think about how individual sins can do that to a, a person's life or to a family's life. Adultery can destroy a marriage and a family. Greed can cause you to waste all of your money and not take care of your family. Jealousy can cause you to spend all your time looking at other people's life, at things you can't have and people you can't be, all the while you just sink deeper into that chaos. Caring, uh, 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 um, what are they called? The fear of man, caring what other people think so much. Siri's talking to me. Uh, Caring about what other people want so much more than what God wants for you will cause you to flip out over the smallest little things. It'll cause you to be a bad parent, a bad spouse, a bad worker. Sin will cause chaos in your life. And to top all of that off, this sin, this chaos that comes from sin, to top all of that off, the psalmist speaks of if God were to start counting our sins and start numbering them one by one, none of us could stand. If God were to take you to court and start reading off evidence against you, you would be convicted unanimously. You could not stand. The answer to the rhetorical question in this psalm, who could stand if God were to count iniquities? The answer is no one. No one could stand before God if he marked our iniquities. But the key phrase there, the thing that we should hold on to and cling to is maybe the smallest word in this whole passage, if. If is a very small word, but it's important in this because it says, if the Lord were to count iniquities, who could stand? But praise God, we have a God that doesn't always count our iniquities against us. So when you, right now, when you feel the chaos waters in your life, I can't tell you if the chaos that you're in is a result of sin or not. As I mentioned, some chaos in life is just, that's life. It happens. But sometimes there's chaos in our life because of sin. I can't tell you if that chaos in your life is because of sin, but I think you can. If you were to take an honest step back to say, hey, the chaos that I'm going through, is this a result of just life's chaotic situation? Or has my sin brought this chaos about in my life? I think if we're honest with ourselves, maybe if you ask your spouse or your family, you'd be able to identify the chaos in your life that comes from sin. And don't assume that just because there's chaos in your life, don't assume that you had nothing to do with that. It's possible that that chaos is in your life because of sin. But also remember that the Lord put the word if in there. So if there's chaos in your life that has come from sin, God gives mercy. So as you come for worship this morning, I want you to think about the depth of your sin, but don't stop there. Trust in the heights of God's mercy. Start in the depths of your sin, but now let's ascend and think about God's mercy. Because the author relishes from here on in the fact that God, although he could count iniquities against us, doesn't. He chooses not to. And where does this mercy come from? He says it comes from the Lord itself. The source of God's mercy is him. He says with the Lord, there's forgiveness in verse four, steadfast love in verse seven and plentiful redemption also in verse seven. These three things are like friends that always hang out with God. Anytime you find him, you find them. You guys have a, a friend group in your life, right? Where there's like, if you, if you run into so-and-so, so-and-so is with them. These friends are always hanging out with God. They're always with him because they are part of him. They are essential to his character. You can't, or God, he can't be, or he can't not 
be loving. Let me, let me put my words in order there. He can't not be loving because that would require him to change who he is. That would require him to be not God. He can't not love. Humans are not like that, are they? We are fickle. Humans are fickle. We change. Sometimes with people, you just never know what you're going to get. One day, they're fun, they're happy, they're a joy to be around. The next day, you hang out with them, they're grumpy, mean, not the same way as last time. Maybe you've been that person, like me. I can be that person. You feel like, man, I'm, I'm Dr. Jekyll one day and I'm Mr. Hyde the next. If you don't get that reference, read a book. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> One day you're one person, and the next day you're a different person. Do you ever feel that way? Well, God is not that way. He's not like us, where one day we're forgiving and kind and nice, and the next day we're bitter and resentful. God is always the same. And as you approach Him, you never have to wonder, which God am I coming to this morning? Which God am I coming to right now? He will always be the same. If you have received mercy from God before, Know that when you go to him again, that's the exact same response he's going to have to you. Mercy. If you've never been to God and received mercy, but you've seen others receive it, know that you can receive mercy from God because he's not going to treat you any differently. And what happens as a result of this mercy that God gives us? Well, verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That you may be feared. The mercy of God results in the fear of God. The mercy of God results in the fear of God. Remember, as we've talked about, the fear of God is this reverent awe, this proper respect for who God is, knowing that he can do everything that he says he'll do. Another way of saying that is worship, right? Another way of saying fear of the Lord is you have a proper respect and awe and a worship of him. So God's mercy makes worship possible. The only reason we can come at a morning like this and sing to the Lord and Him hear our praises and us enter into His, His, His presence boldly is because of what Christ has done for us. And if He didn't show mercy, we would not worship. We could not worship. So God's mercy makes worship possible, but God's mercy also makes, or God's mercy also makes worship desirable. Desirable. Those who have been shown mercy want to worship the Lord and fear him. They want to give him proper reverence. They know he deserves all the worship that they can give him and they give it to him uh, continually. As a matter of fact, they can't help but worship. It's what comes out. It should be what naturally spews out of them when anything happens to them. Whether it's bad or good, hard or easy, they should worship the Lord. It comes out of them. Another way to say this is that God's mercy should put us in a constant posture of praise. God's mercy should put us in a constant posture of praise, waiting for that moment when God's mercy will show up and we can praise him again, which is exactly where we find this psalmist waiting. Or we find that's where we find this psalmist. He is waiting. He says waiting or in verse five, he says, I will wait on the Lord. My soul waits in his word. I hope. He's cried out to the Lord in his distress. He's pondered upon God's mercy and where it comes from. And now he's just waiting on God and hoping that God will answer his word like he has done time and time before. It's that posture of reverence and praise. The author knows God and he knows how God will react. And now he's just waiting on that mercy to come into his life. 
He even says he's like a watchman at the gate. Imagine a city, we don't have cities like this anymore, but imagine a city with a wall around it and they'd put watchmen at the top of that. And that watchman would look out into the night uh, just waiting for anything that would approach that might be dangerous in the night. But you know what that watchman is waiting for even more than danger? He's waiting for the sun to come up because he knows his shift is over and God has kept him safe through another night. And that watchman... He's not waiting for if the sun's going to come up. He's waiting for when the sun is going to come up. Because every single day of his life, the sun has come up and shined on his city. Every single day, without fail, the sun has, has risen and he's been able to look out and see it come up. Just as sure as that sun coming up in the dawn is God's mercy in your life as you wait for it. As you wait for God's mercy... It's going to show up in your life. As you have cried out to the Lord in the depths of your sin, He is faithful to show mercy. He's promised to do it, and He's done it before, and He's going to do it again, just as sure as the sun coming up in the morning. We need to be waiting on Him as well. I mean, I think of like when a baseball player, and when you teach, a, teach baseball, um, you got to have every, every time that ball is pitched, you need to be expecting the ball to come to you. That's why you tell, tell your baseball players, be down and ready in a stance because when that ball comes off the bat, it's going to come to you. That's the anticipation that a ball player has to have every time the ball is pitched. In the same way, every time you go through something, specifically in this context, every time you've gone through a sin and you go to the Lord and you give that to Him, you need to be anticipating that mercy is going to come flying right back at you, down and ready in a posture, ready to receive His mercy. So we start off thinking about the depths of our sin, what we bring to the table. Then we think of the heights of God's mercy, what he brings to the table. And then as we come to worship, we need to tell others to do the same thing we've just done. Thinking of our sin and resting in God's mercy. Tell others. Look at what verse 7 and 8 do. The author goes from thinking about himself individually to speaking to the body, speaking to the the people at large. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. He's not speaking to himself anymore. He's speaking to an entire nation, calling them to put their hope in the Lord for mercy, just like he has. God's mercy, his love, his forgiveness and redemption are amazing to experience as an individual, as an individual. But man, the blessing of gathering together with God's people makes experience that mercy even better. Among the many reasons why we gather as a church every Sunday morning, week in, week out, is so that we can encourage one another to experience the forgiveness and to worship God because of the forgiveness that he has shown to each and every single one of us. We sing together about God's mercy. We read his word and preach about his mercy. We pray that God would show us mercy. Even in what we're about to do, this this corporate act of taking the Lord's Supper, this this is a thing that has to be done among the body. You can't take the Lord's Supper as an individual. The Bible says that when you gather together to take the supper, it's implying that when we do the supper, we are together as a family. You can't have a family meal by yourself, right? You can't have the Lord's Supper by yourself. We do this together as a people because it reminds us that the person that's taking that cup and taking that bread and eating it, they're in the same exact boat that we are. Just like you, at one point in time, that person was in the chaos of their sin. 
That person sitting next to you taking the Lord's Supper. They were in the chaos of their sin. Maybe you or that person still in that chaos of the sin and you need that forgiveness. But that person's in the same boat as you. And after turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus, they've been redeemed by his blood and rescued from that chaos. Just like you. So as we take this meal in a few moments, let it remind you that not only are you forgiven for your sin, and not only have you received God's mercy, the people around you have as well. And if you think of that way, if you can think God has forgiven so-and-so over the next few of their sins, I could forgive them of the sin um, maybe they've caused me. See, the Lord's Supper and reminding ourselves that we're in the same boat helps us to live in unity. It helps us to, to be the body of Christ when we remember I've been forgiven and so have they. I need to treat them as somebody who's been forgiven by Christ. Have you ever been riding down the road um, and you've seen them? I've never ridden a motorcycle. And I have no desire to either. But have you ever seen somebody riding down the road and motorcycle and you see two motorcycles pass? What do they do? They do this with their hand. Well, I guess they would, uh, they would do this with their left hand, right? Is it the left or the right? Yeah, left. They put down their left hand like this. You know why they do that? It's some, some kind of kindred spirit thing they have. Like, I'm a biker. I know you're a biker too, bro. Right? They pass each other and they just feel this, this kindred spirit between the two of them. Uh, I've never experienced that, but you know where I do experience that? You ever been in Walmart and you've seen somebody from another church wearing a VBS shirt? You see them and you're like, you know, we've been there. right? There's a kindred spirit between the two of you. You know, they've experienced the same thing you've experienced and they've come out on the other side safely. That's what the Lord's Supper does for us. As you come and you take this supper this morning, remember that Christ has shed his blood for you. His body was broken for you. And he's given you the promise that one day you're going to have this meal with him in heaven when he comes back. And... The person next to you taking that is going to experience that same thing as well. So when we come to worship, when we come this morning, we've come here, and maybe you, maybe you have experienced that chaos in your life from sin. Maybe you're still in that chaos, crying out to the Lord for mercy. Know that He will show it. And the way that you enhance your time of worship, the way you make this moment special when you come to worship the Lord is to remember, man, I was in the depths of my sin and I cried out to God and he showed mercy to me and he showed mercy to me every single day just as the sun comes up every day. And I've got brothers and sisters in this room that have experienced the same thing. So as we take this meal in a moment, this family meal, it's for anyone who has put their trust in Jesus and turned from their sin and been baptized to make that public. If that's you this morning, take it. It doesn't matter if you're a member of First Baptist Church or not. You take this meal if that's you, if you're the member of the body of Christ. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, you know, I haven't put my faith in Jesus. I'm still in those chaos waters. I need the Lord to forgive me. I haven't made that public by baptism. Then refrain from taking this meal. Not to say we don't want you to be part of the club, but to say we really do want you to be part of the club and you have an offer to put your faith in Jesus. If that's you this morning, you can come and talk to me during, the, during our response time. But wherever you find yourself this morning, take a moment here at the end of this service to pray and prepare your heart to take this family meal. And remember that even though you were in the depth of your sin, God has shown and will show you mercy forever. Let's pray.